the theme for the evening talk is deep love. During the days that we've been here together, we've been touching on the importance of metta, which often and usefully is translated as loving-kindness. And there are many and numerous expressions of loving-kindness which contribute to the welfare of our heart, uh, the welfare of others, and this can manifest through the activities of body, speech and mind, through the heart, through what we say, through what we write and through what we do. And the awareness and the importance and the value of uh, loving-kindness obviously should be apparent to us all. And in a world in which there is so much negativity, anger and aggression, then the potency and the power of loving-kindness becomes an important vehicle for transforming and changing situations. But this metta, this uh, loving-kindness, also has a variety of other features to it. And the actual true meaning of the word uh, metta, actually in looking through the text, through what the Buddha has said, uh, in many, many references to metta, the simple English translation of it is love. And that potency of love as the extraordinary transformative means or vehicle for human beings, for uh, liberation and for deep awakening. And it's actually inseparable from it. it, it it's love and liberation, love and salvation, it goes together like wood and trees. And therefore, when you and I are in a deep place of love, however that may be showing, showing itself, we're closer to something extraordinary and true, much more often than what we realize and what we think. So part of the potency and the effectiveness of the inner journey is moving deep within ourselves. And as the Buddha said, all life meets in the heart, all life meets in feelings. And that journey into the inner feelings to bring out of the being, to bring out of the depth of the, of the being, this extraordinary uh, transformative uh, uh, state called love. And if our attention is given to that, if there is a, a genuinely profound uh, interest in all of that, it not only wakens the heart, but it also it generates enormous messages throughout the whole being and certainly, of course, with, uh, outside of ourself. What I would like to do in the exploration with you this evening is to explore some of the features of this inner journey, to speak about what love is, to make some important references to uh, eros as an, and the erotic, which is a, a strong and important feature of love, and try to show a little bit of where uh, the liberation of this uh, lies. You and I, when we are attending to our inner life and the expression uh, of it, we find ourselves again and again in a world of different um, uh, identities. 
That's mostly triggered and manifested, of course, through the kinds of roles that you and I have had uh, in the course of our life. Sometimes these roles have been as children, as sons and as daughters. We've had the roles of brothers and sisters and cousins. So the family network of interchanging roles, all of which can be a vehicle for love or be a condition and continue to be a condition for enormous pain and difficulty. There's the roles too as we grow up with our peer groups, with our friends, with authority uh, figures, with people that we have contact. So here are all these kind of identities which, as it were, are going on inside of us and somehow or other, in the complexity of the inner life, we're trying to find ways and means that somehow we integrate all of this, we hold all of this together so that there is some sense of harmony between who I, are, who I am or who I think I am and the heart's relationship to it. Is it possible? And it's one of the great challenging questions of human existence. Is it possible for the heart to be so full and so rich and so deeply loving, which is what metta is, that it actually flows freely and in an uninhibited way into every one of those roles, without any exception. And if that power and that authority and that actual movement, because it's a movement, can take place uh, uh, within us, then we begin to understand that the movement of the heart, the flow of the energy, can run into these various roles, I just listed a few of them, and through the roles itself, can then flow outwardly into, the w- into this world that we live in. And therefore, there's an important and imperative of an inner journey that flows through the being, through the heart, through the roles, and into the world. This is the signal. This is the indicator of what an authentically transformed human being is. And sometimes we say, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but. I have so many roles. And sometimes with this, you know, people also see all sorts of identities uh, 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 upon us. And, and some of them are a little strange. I just don't, I'm still remembering uh, Silver the other days. And you go to, go to a wedding, etc. when I was wearing the white shirt, so the, the, the black shirt. And so sometimes I'm wearing my black shirt and my black jacket and my black trousers and my black underpants and my black socks <laughs> and my black shoes, and, uh, etc. So my dear um, uh, Jewish friends in Israel say, Christopher, you... You look like a reformed rabbi, you know, etc. <laughs> etc. And then my and then my New York friends say, Christopher, you just look like a, a a producer and you've just flown in from Hollywood or LA or somewhere. And, you know, and then my mother tells me I look like the, the Tsar of Russia and you know, so, so, uh, whatever. Marshal from the Wild West, that's another one I remember. And is it any wonder I'm in a, an identity crisis? Anyway, <laughs> all right. So sometimes there are these kind of roles which bounce off us. There, we, we identify with. And the extraordinary thing with the self, with the movement of the self, at the time, in the activity of the function, I think that is who I am. I am the son to my mother, I am the father to my daughter, I am the grandfather to my grandson, 
I am the teacher to the student, I am uh, the friend to the friend, I'm the relative to the re relative, I'm in a relationship, I'm the lover to the lover. And these all become, important word here, become and give me the sense of who I am. And because of this becoming of this sense of who I am or who I think I am, the self tends to find itself in the complexity of problems of suffering around all of this. I seem as a human being to work rather, I'm speaking the I for all of us here, rather easily and more comfortably with some roles. I've got a close relationship with a person. I've got a really good connection. I can talk to this person. She or he is a really good friend of mine. We know each other. We trust each other. We have a lot of deep love for each other. We have metta. This is metta. They have deep love for each other. But I find with another person... <coughs> is there any uh, water? I know it's forbidden, but is there any uh, around? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like I was in Switzerland, and we, we, were, we were asked to... Out, uh, you're a sweetheart... Asked to thank you, put our shoes by the wall outside, you know, uh, etc. It's very neat because it's Swiss, you see. It, it? <laughs> there. Whereas in India, you just drop your flip flops off anywhere and you can't find them, and that's how you do it in India. Anyway, let me get back to what I was talking about. <laughs> So sometimes there are these roles, and with the various roles that you and I have and the connection with them, some of them are clearly, we admit, are more difficult than some of the others. And therefore we wonder, what is the conditioning, what is the habit, what is the, the karma, what is the event, which brings about enough pushing and pulling in the feeling life, in the emotional life, with the thoughts, with the perceptions, with the memories, and there's not going to be anything else, perceptions, thoughts, feelings and memories and images and whatever, somehow gluing together, impacting together through the role, wrapping itself around the sense of I and my, and that becomes my story. In the role, in an identity, in a particular position. But, sadly, of course, we know we that because the mind is so and heart is so interconnected, I can't just keep one difficult role with the stuff around it in one little compartment and it not, in some way or other, affect the rest of my life. Basic therapy, isn't it? So this interrelationship keeps flowing from one into the other, one in, in, into the other. Yet nevertheless, I'll say as a human being, yes, some things are much more difficult for me. And, and therefore, there's some kind of imbalance which generates this turbulence in the inner life. Part of it, but not the cure, but part of it is that this is who I really feel or think or believe I am when I'm in the role. I want to go deeper, and if I want to go deeper, that somehow or other, I've got to get underneath, so to speak, behind, so to speak, the role. Because the stuff is going into the role. It's got to be 
coming from somewhere. When you and I are in various roles, the problem of being in the various uh, roles is that with something, this is important here, which exists, it will bring the wish for it not to exist. I bet there isn't one of us in this room who hasn't been in some kind of role which at the time of the event wish one was away from it like staying with one's mother and father for more than seven days. <laughs> you get the point. So the vulnerability, the reactivity, the movement that goes on, that when something, a role, whatever it is, exists, we are very grateful, equally grateful, for its non-existence. I come here and I spend seven days, as two of you, in the role of being a teacher. I'm happy to arrive. I'm happy to be here. And I'm very happy when it's finished. Well, I'm very happy all the way through, actually, but you know what I mean. So I'm there with the beginning, there with the middle, and there with the end. And in the movement of the immersion of the role, it appears, it has a certain time span to it, and it goes, and one is out. And then the role is finished. The difficulty with human beings is that we carry the impressions, which is no truth, it's only impressions. Truth is not an impression. We carry the impressions from the last role, and we find in various ways they seep into the next situation. It could be tiredness, it could be stress, it could be reactivity, it could be agitation about something else. So part of the awareness, as an act of love in life, not easy, is it, are we able to see and to witness and to leave what goes on with the role as much as possible within the form? I'll touch upon the formless in a moment. Just within the form. So in other words, can I be, not easy, but as clear as a human being, this difficulty, if there is one, in this situation, whatever it might be, oneself or another, or others, that the difficulty is in that form. Understand? It's not just everywhere. It's in that form at that time. And then when that contact, which generates the form, in this case, say, teacher, student, parent, child, whatever it might be, in the ending of the contact means I'm not seeing and I'm not hearing and I'm not actually with. Then, in the moment of the end of the contact, the role, the form, the activity ends. Clearly, it, one feels it ends. Human beings forget this, so the effect of this is the impression is carried over. And when the impression is carried over, we see him or her, and we don't see them. we just got the memory. We've got the impression and like putting on a pair of coloured sunglasses, we look at the person through yesterday's eyes. He or she or they did this to me. This happened when I last met them. We haven't seen the end of the role. 
we've carried the impression and it's then distorted from the image to the present moment our ability to see the person afresh. We, you and I, can't stop others doing that to us, but my God, we can stop doing it to others. So when we're speaking about love and speaking about uh, being here and now, we're, we're, we're referring to the significance of really seeing clearly and really knowing an impression is not the truth. It's old, it's dead, it's the past, it belongs in the dustbin of history. The trouble is, we forget. Oh, do we forget? And do we pay the price of the sin of forgetfulness? We suffer. That's the price for it. Sometimes, even with all the best will, all the best love and goodness and care of the heart, others, whoever he, she, they might be, the force of their personality, the unresolved issues that they have, the whole manner of treatment towards us can make it so difficult, and a number of you here in the one-to-ones have referred to this, can make it so difficult, the impact of another, that it implodes, pardon me, so strongly in the inner life it, it jars, it, it, it creates a, a, um, a disturbance where we're kind of bruised by the event, whatever it might be. And then, naturally, in order to humanly enough, there's the wish, for, at that time, to be away from the person. We don't want to be close to that person. We don't want to hear that abuse anymore. We don't want to hear that violation. We don't want to, to be put down and rubbished and... and treated cynically, etc. We have a right to stay away. It doesn't mean to say that in the staying away from him, her, them, or that, or, or, or whatever, that it's a cutting off of the love. It's the voice of wisdom inside which says the heart needs renewal. And if we don't understand the function of love and the function of wisdom, when we stay away with sound clear reason and understanding behind it when we stay away, if we don't understand the wisdom of it, then we'll lay a number on ourselves. We'll feel guilty. We'll feel bad. We feel we haven't got enough compassion. We feel we haven't got enough connection. Rather than saying, this is the voice of wisdom at this time. Whatever length of time that that might be. Sometimes in the touch of love, which informs the roles in its best, uh, uh, best way, that the difficulty in the areas of uh, roles, and I just want to kind of give a little summary here to some of the uh, conversations that I uh, have, one of the difficult areas with, with uh, roles, and I've got in mind here particularly relationships and the old favourite personal relationships uh, that, go on, that go on, this too is a major area in, uh, in people's uh, lives. And again, as we all know, the, the, the cycle of change, the pressures on people who are married, uh, people in a long-standing relationship, people who are just beginning a relationship or just uh, bring, bringing one to a close. All sorts of influences, inwardly and outwardly, are all impacting, all affecting what love is, is all about. 
And what we find in those uh, situations is how delicate the balance of the heart is. And what I mean by that, those that are in relationship can feel very, very vulnerable and uncertain about its continuity because of all the dynamics that uh, uh, go on and that can generate a lot of insecurity. Those who are not in relationship can spend one hell of a lot of time thinking about how nice it would be in t- it would be to be in a really nice relationship. <laughs> so we've got this strange society where those that are in relationship feel totally insecure and think they might be better off out of it, and those who are in a relationship, who are not in a relationship, think, God, what am I missing? Time's going by, and I'd be better off in it. <laughs> and so we kind of move back and forwards between the uh, in and out, and of course there are a few people around who just haven't made up their, their mind, and, and therefore they're in, in and out like a yo-yo, because they can't make up their mind if it's better in or better out. And then, of course, we can't admit the fact of the prevarications that are going on, and so we'll hide all of the ambivalence and the uncertainty about our emotional life, and we'll call it, it's my choice. (laughs) Complete self-deception there. So sometimes, when there's the role which is in, and this is where I want to reflect a little bit on uh, some of the conversations I have, of the privilege of uh, meeting and talking, in this case, but in mind uh, w- women here. And women who are into their 20s, into their 30s, into the latter peer, uh, part of the, the 30s, and sometimes, both emotionally and biologically, all sorts of things can be happening inside, as, as you the good women here will know far better than uh, I could uh, ever know. And then, sometimes, the thoughts arise. And the thoughts arise about relationship, and then the thoughts arise about being a parent, or, or be, being a, a mother, and how easily, in the absence of, there's easily, and understandably, for some, an attraction towards. And then, one feels the absence of, the stronger the feeling the absence of, and this also applies men are, can be in the same position, then the stronger the feeling, the absence of, the stronger the attraction towards. And how easily then the thought then can arise, oh, if only, oh, this is one of the most difficult thoughts to ever have to deal with. If only, if only. And then every time a number rolls by, 32, 33, 34, 35. Somehow the number has got related to the emotional life, God knows how. And then a bit more pressure, a little bit more fear, a little bit more anxiety, then it then can start to arise. And the thought keeps justifying the cycle. Those, and then those of us who say, hey, is there another way to look at this? Is there another way to express love, to let love love flow. And then I say to Christopher too, it's easy for you to say that, Christopher. You've got a daughter. Oh, oh, all right. So, the actual, having a child, and those of our parents, believe me, it's not half as much as what people crack it up to be. I have to, I have to <laughs> say, 23 years of experience uh, there, that 
but it's more in the absence of, in the absence of, and <laughs> people are giggling away here, but anyway, carry on. It's in the, in the absence, in the absence of, that belief in the absence of makes the existence of stronger. If one feels something is missing, then of course one's looking for something to make it happen. And what one's looking for, if we take this there, is some poor M A N. <laughs> I just had, I, I must relate this. Let me carry on with the water. I'll get to the erotic in a little while. Just <laughs> <laughs> this is the gradual path, you see. All right. I just had a lovely, I do, two or three actually, but a lovely conversation, meeting with a, 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 dear, a dear, dear friend. I, I'd mentioned to um, a night or two ago that... Um, uh, I'd really extended the boundaries of my consciousness by making this proposal. And, um, and one or two people have asked in the, in the one-to-ones, um, why, did, why did she say no? <laughs> Whereas everybody else thought, well, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> people who are curious <laughs> I said I've increased the population by one and done my uh, little bit and the good uh, lady said she would like to increase by one and we, so we decided to be friends because I feel I've, I've done my bit for the population etc. Anyway so then person the woman I was uh, talking uh, to who's not living like a hermit or a nun by any means is actually living a life she's into the Dharma and she's engaged and she's got various groups and she's uh, teaching she moves in different circles and she goes to parties etc like that like that and she's lovely good and we were talking on the phone, and she said, Christopher, I've kept my eyes and my ears open, and I'm keeping my uh, heart open, and, uh, and she said, I've got a, a double bed at home, and it seems such a great pity that I'm only the only one in it. And she said, I've decided there are only, there seem to be like three kinds of men out there. <laughs> Um, there's one kind of man, she said, and this kind of man is really just committed to work. So his role and his identity completely focuses on his job, on his career, on making money, 
getting a status, being somebody important, being a success. And then you get the feeling with a few dates with such a man that he's looking for a beautiful wife as part of the accessories of the successful lifestyle, etc. And she said, I'm not interested. Second kind of man, she said, is a man who's working on himself and he's looking at him, him, himself, but she said, he doesn't know who he is. And he's nice and he's friendly and he's warm and he's caring and he's in touch with his feelings, yawn, yawn. And... <laughs> And she said, there's no sense of the man. What happened to the, to the, to the man, etc. No better proof than look at your governor. Anyway, another story. <laughs> and then she said, the third kind of man is, is, a, is one who's a man who's in touch with himself and, and, and has vision and has service and, and uh, a sense of person. And she said, there doesn't seem to be a man out there. And the occasional ones that I uh, meet, they've been snapped up long ago. And she said, I can't see a man out there. So I went to speak with a good friend who's uh, one of the senior union analysts. And I go and meet and talk with this man. I, I love him very much. And uh, he speaks and he writes, uh, and gives... Uh, been to attend to uh, lovely lectures on the place of the feminine in, uh, in our society. And uh, I said, what do, you think, what do you think about this, Julian? This, this you know, very beautiful uh, uh, woman, bright and intelligent and has depth. Can't find a man out there. And he said, Christopher, you have to understand something. I said, there are no men in society. And I went, what? <laughs> and uh, I, said, I said, are you sure that the good woman, that it's not that, it's just that perhaps, very Buddhist this, she's got too many projections, too high an ideal, wanting something which we poor male species can't possibly match up to. That is, and, and therefore the, the ideal is too high and we're just, you know, ordinary little men fumbling around <laughs> looking for our toothbrush in the morning. Uh, and he said, Christopher, no. There are no men in society. Try not, the men here, try not to take it as too personally. I mean, that, that's... <laughs> uh, etc. And so I mentioned it to this uh, uh, friend of mine. She said to me, actually, she said, Hearing that, it's a bit of relief. I don't have to keep looking because they aren't there, as well as I thought. <laughs> I'm sure there's one or two. Maybe one or two. So sometimes we, we, we look. And, and, I, and in reverse as well, verses earlier. Somehow love has to have the potency and the power to it and the flow with it which, for its manifestation, it's not dependent on a role. That's an enormous shift. It's not dependent on having a lover. It's not be dependent on becoming a mother or a father. It's not dependent on a particular position 
to have. So in the depth of uh, uh, love, the actual role identity will play a much lower part because something else can flow through. And at this point, the form, whatever the form is, has a less, into the great teachings of the Buddha here, has a less significant function in life, the form, in relationship to the formless. Love is formless. It may travel its journey in, as a liberating movement through forms, but it doesn't need forms. It does not need forms. And somehow, you and I, we've got to reflect on this and look at this and to ask ourselves, in myself and with myself, am I too preoccupied with the forms? Called son, daughter, partner, no partner, parent, no pa- not a parent, uh, having a job, not having, having a job. All of this activity, when identified with, acts as a constriction on love. Not a vehicle for its liberation. Not a vehicle for its actual manifestation. The identification with either I have or I don't have, that holding to existing and non-existing, which is the form, inhibits the flow of the formless, which is deep love. Sometimes, in the listening to ourselves, and this is not an easy one, and some of you here will know this too well, we're close with somebody. We're connected with someone. We feel his or her presence or support. It could be someone in our home life, it could be a very good friend. It could be a husband or wife. It could be someone who's our lover. It could be somewhere in, someone that we're engaged to. And after a period of time with him or her or, or whatever the circumstance, one begins to acknowledge and appreciate because one is knowing oneself and knowing the other person that Though there are lovely ebb and flows of love and connection and friendship and relationship and contact, that sometimes in that we know that we can't touch the deepest depths of the love between two people. We just know it. And therefore, we feel that though the love is running deep and it's very close and as far and as deep as it goes, it's very, very beautiful, We also know that love is so deep, and metta is about this deep love, that it's it's so deep that sometimes between two people or between a group or whatever it may be, that sometimes it just can't touch the base. It can't get to that place where it's somehow it's actually affecting some deep cellular feeling, right? Very, very deep where the where the love and the organic life are so fused together. And sometimes, well, no, it doesn't, it's not doing it. You can't do it. How do, we, how do we deal with that if we find out we're in a committed relationship? We find out that uh, or we're about to embark on one or it's just flowing and, and one senses it. Somehow, somewhere in our life, in some way, some means, some vehicle, I believe, has to be some opportunity in some way to touch that deep, deep place of love. And part of the practice, part of the metta practice, 
is getting that deep. Some will say, and I hear regularly enough, people will say, in my relationship with my parents, with my children, with my friends, with, with who, whoever it might be, frankly, Christopher, I'd love to, but it, we just can't get that deep, period. All sorts of, all sorts of reasons. A friend just, uh, uh, just spoke with in uh, uh, New York, uh, fathers in the, the, the film industry, and uh, she said she stayed in this huge mansion that he and his second wife uh, has. And she visits her father annually. And what she finds out in the con con contact with her father, that uh, according to her, the father is unable to express any kind of heart, emotional, feeling connection. And she got a cold and she said, I spent three or four days in a cold room with my head on, touch me, cold silk sheets. And that's what the atmosphere in the house was like for her with her father and the, and, the sec and the second wife. And so sometimes there is love for the father, but the father is unable to say, I love you, unable to hug his daughter, unable to, t unable to talk about feelings, unable to talk about the personal history with his, with the, with his first wife, the, the woman's mother, etc. And so there's, there's, there's a gap. It's all too easy in such a situation for her to feel, she doesn't, but to feel sorry for herself, feel she's missed out on her father's love and it hasn't been given to her, and then begin to draw all sorts of conclusions about the rest of her life. Is it possible, even when the love isn't forthcoming, in this case from the father who she feels is so lost in his film work and so detached and cut off from her, is it possible for her somehow, not easy, to recognize who he is, to trust in her perceptions, this is how my father is, he can't reach out emotionally, he can't connect, all his feelings go into his work, he's got no time for me, he, it, even when she telephoned me up when I was in England, she said, I can't talk long because um, they get uncomfortable about the phone bill. And these people have got millions of dollars. And, and it's that kind of disconnection that can go on. Still, nevertheless, I say, metta, which is deep love, has to transcend, has to go deeper than the dynamic called daughter and father. That's our challenge. If she's just the daughter, from the standpoint of the daughter, the interpretation will be coldness, rejection, not love, not accepted. It's been like this my whole life. Look at the consequences. And that's going to be painful. From the standpoint of love, the love still can flow. I never say for a moment it's easy. Still can flow in spite, this is key here, in spite of the differences of daughter and father. The father needs his daughter far more than the daughter needs her father. Far more. Similarly, sometimes in areas of uh, uh, closeness and relationship that we are in, there, that again, 
one doesn't necessarily have to kind of drop out of the situation or out of out of the relationship. But somewhere or other in our life, there has to be some resources for us, which are reminding us of what deep love is. And we need the contact, we need the connection, we need the support, we need the wet networks to keep reminding us uh, uh, of it because it's the most powerful human feeling that's available to us. That's why the whole culture, the whole film industry, arts, theatre, creativity, music, entertainment, what's it all about? Love. It's that important for us. We hear so much about it. In fact, we know so little about it. We really are a bunch of hopeless sentient beings. <laughs> Sometimes in expressions of uh, love as well, that I believe, and this is where Edge, uh, edge runs, and I sometimes tread on uh, people's t- uh, toes with uh, these areas. There's something very important about love and the potency and the, the beauty and the mystery of it in various situations and various environments. What I would call the manifestation, the expression of love, showing itself as eros. And what I mean or refer uh, to that, there are times it could be in the one-to-one meeting somebody. It could be in the situation of uh, people together who are close. It could be in the nature. That some kind of chemistry or magic or spark takes place in the connection, in the communication with whatever, which touches something which is actually, I feel, more than just the heart. It actually kind of, the feeling and the sense is that it fills the air. And one wonders, in such connection, when it takes place, in the whole variety of, of ways, what's, what is it? What is it that, that touches and that brings something out of the human being, which is kind of bigger than the heart, it kind of fills the being the other being as well, and it fills the actual air in which one is in. This is Eros. And the beauty of that, one asks, one wonders with, with this, where, 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 where is it? You know, is, it in the, is it in the eyes and, and in the ears, if it's a communi- or communication with somebody or something, such as being in the nature? But when we ask and look at that, well, if that was really in the eyes and ears, then it should be popping into the eyes and ears all the time and one should constantly have constant feelings of eros and love and connection and passion and uh, the joie de vivre of, of things. Or if it's in somebody else or in that environment, then every time you are an eye with that person or people or in that situation, every time we have contact, we should be picking it up and therefore we are sparked and therefore... Out comes the love, out comes the eros, out comes the wonderful atmosphere and something magic is, is, is going on. And what we know is in the extraordinariness of it, we can't choose it. We can't walk into a situation and say, this is going to be so full of eros. <laughs> or, 
I think I'll have Eros for the first ten minutes and then I'll, then I'll drop it and I'll have something else afterwards. The self, the choice, has no way with it. It's just that sometimes we find ourselves connected, find ourselves in that kind of magic of love and connection which is there. It's pregnant, these situations. They're so beautiful and it's pregnant with possibility. The possibility, not for it to move into a form that may or may not happen. I'm not concerned with it. It's pregnant with possibility to allow a love to flow, to be present in its completely formless condition, in its formless beauty, and it doesn't lead anywhere. Whether in the the beauty of the nature, in the, uh, the meeting of a lovely creature, in a man and woman spending time together, in the playfulness with children, all situations which have the potential for the revelation, the seeing, the contact, the experience of something which is of eros. The difficulty is that we are living in a culture which is afraid of it. We're living in a culture which is actually very, very suspicious about it. And particularly, we're living in a culture where there's any kind of roles then even more fear, more suspicion, more concern, because it's not allowing for eros. And then we're in the danger of ending up dried up therapists, dried up dharma teachers, because, oh, eros, (laughs) Really. And I feel that that's a loss. It's it's a loss, a loss of the heart. And, And... a small, a very small example to give you a little, uh, a little uh, 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 contrast. Knowing the dance of these uh, things. A couple of days ago, I received a couple of uh, emails, and these emails came from uh, uh, from Israel. Both came um, on the on on the same day, and one one. Uh, both from women, both um, women, I don't know how old they are, but mid-late 20s, 30s, whatever, around that kind of age. And one uh, e- uh, email said to me, started off something like, um, Dear man, can't wait to see you, can't wait for you to come back to uh, see you again in uh, I- uh, Israel, miss you, see you soon, lots of love. The other said something uh, like, uh, it like, darling, um, um, when something like, oh, when you, I remember, when you, when you speak, um, some of the words that you say, uh, uh, strip me naked. <laughs> and then it fin- and then it finished finished off uh, kisses, uh, etc. I have been coming to the United States of America since Jack first invited me in 1977. I've never received an email from any of you getting anywhere near close to that. 
And then people ask me why I prefer to go to Israel more often. <laughs> in, other, in, other, in other words, in, in other words, <clears throat> that sometimes we've become afraid. We've become afraid to express feelings. And then they just write. And I don't write back, send an email back and say, well, I'm terribly sorry, but uh, this looks like to me like transference. And, uh, <laughs> and since I'm twice your age, there's uh, certain father figure problems here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't write back. I say, Good, thank you for the email, and I love you too. <laughs> and, and that's Eros. No problem in it. Nothing to be afraid of. Nothing to be worried about. It's what love is. And if we start, oh my God, we can't do, can't do, can't do that, can't say that, can't feel that, can't know that, can't know. It's, it's gradually, gradually watering down what love is and what passion is and what connection is and, and, and what love of the erotic is because we're, we're afraid of it. And then both students and teachers and and people in the service professions and all others end up afraid of each other. And when, in this very hall, I might, my, I might say, just a few years ago when there was uh, uh, a meeting, I, I, I had to go to a few of these uh, meet, meet, uh, meetings, this, are you or have you ever, you know, one of those kind of questions. <laughs> and fair enough, you know, everybody should tune should be called. But once I heard one sentence... And the, the sentence, just in how these things are said, sticks in the mind. As a person with authority and responsibility, if you, you that is the teacher, give a gift to a student or you receive one, be careful that your hands do not touch. It might be sending out the wrong message. I heard it in this hall. What? What? Is this Taliban culture? <laughs> what? And there's a serious thing. It's getting so bad that people are getting so afraid of each other in love and the heart and connection with awareness and with respect and with responsibility and with sensitivity, absolutely. But if we get so afraid of e each other, then eventually there'll be no heart left. There won't be any deep, deep love. We'll all be polite, dead, walking neutrons. <laughs> the life will have gone. The passion will have gone. The erotic will have gone. The eros will have, will have gone. Because we've, we've been just conditioned to be afraid that we might be misunderstood. And I think that, that, that the love of eros in life and, 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 and uh, deep love, we've, we've, we've got to take care with it. Otherwise, we get more and more distant from each other and more and more alienated from each other and more and more alienated from our environment. And there's something about eros, something about love, something about that kind of uh, uh, connection, which, in its profound, deepest uh, Dharma sense, actually communicates something of the transcendent. It communicates as as the, the rabbi from Nazareth would say, it communicates something uh, of the kingdom of heaven. 
And these moments in life, when suddenly there's a spark, something touches, something profound and beautiful, something where all the roles are gone, all the forms have gone, and there's just love showing itself, and, and it, it's authentic and, and true and real and, and uh, uh, magic. Someday of that, in that, of that nature, that is, this is nirvana. It's right where we are. The extraordinary is right in the midst of the ordinary. And people like Jesus and the Buddha and the great saints and sages say, please look at the ordinary. Please attend to it. You don't know what you're missing. And that's why when we give heart and soul and the whole being to that meeting with life, to being kissed with life, and something out, out of that taste, whoa, this is what liberation is all about. This is what an awakened life is all about. It's just touching it, touching it once is enough. And that's why we, we, we've got to be bold. We've got to take risks. We've got to take chances with each other. We've got to take chances with ourselves. We've got to live as true to it we ca- as we can and not compromise, not sell ourselves short, so that there isn't the betrayal of truth and the betrayal of love. Because that's the, the greatest betrayal that women and men can engage in on this earth, is to betray truth and to betray love. May all beings live with love. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings be touched by the kingdom of heaven. Let's have a quiet minute or two, shall we? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.